have you ever thought of the, the, just the, the truth that we were created to focus? Like as God created beings, we have the ability to hone in and to focus on something. We can focus on many things. We can focus on our health. I know plenty of people that focus on health. And we're really diligent at keeping track of our health, keeping track of our exercise, keeping track of what we eat. Or maybe it's our career, studies. You know, I'm sure each one of us can think of a time in our lives where we put a lot of energy and focus into getting a job done, whether it's a hobby or whether it's to, to, for a goal, like whether it's for advancement in your career. I look at my little kids and I think, man, they, they have the ability to focus, especially when it comes to video games. I mean, I used to be a gamer back in the day, but I'll sit down with my kids now and try and play a video game with them. I have no idea how they're getting to where they're going. Relationships, we focus on relationships. We put time and investment into relationships. Relationships are tough to navigate. There are ups and downs to them. There's work involved with them. Students, you're about to hit all of these things in a massive wave once you get out of high school and start working through college. I know for, for me this year, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, my focus is my garden. This summer, I am all about gardening. We planted a garden in Memorial Day. My wife and I have never had success with gardening. This is the first year we're actually pay paying attention to things and we actually have some serious fruit happening. More often than not, if my wife's looking for me this year, she can find me out in the garden. Wake up in the morning, walk in the garden, picking out two or three weeds, whatever's grown overnight. But I have the, this year, we're just honed in and focused on gardening. And what does this show us? This shows us that we have the ability to focus. We were created with a God-given ability to hone in on something and to focus on something. This week, as we continue in our spiritual rhythm series, we're going to be looking at fasting. And we're going to be looking at the fast, that fasting brings focus. This is one of the boxes that I checked off when we started this summer series, because fasting isn't something, isn't a spiritual rhythm that's really integrated into my life and my relationship with God. But through doing this study and reading more about fasting, I started to realize it's, it's, it's less about what I thought it was about, and the more we look into scripture, the more we see this truth sort of pop out. That fasting brings focus. The, the spiritual rhythm of fasting gives focus to our Christian life. And fasting helps us to know God, helps us to see God more clearly, right? This whole series has been about knowing God more. Not just knowing about God, but knowing him more. Fasting, throughout the history of scripture, throughout the history of the faith, Fasting is a large part of that. Now, out of all of the spiritual rhythms that we're looking at, this is probably the one that we think the least about. It's the one that I think the least about. Right? We go through Scripture, the practice of Scripture, knowing God through Scripture. Well, that makes sense. Knowledge about God, knowing God. Worship and praise, that makes sense. 
prayer and communion with God, speaking with our Heavenly Father. That makes sense as a spiritual practice. Confession, like we heard last, last week, confession and surrender, transparency before God, that makes sense, but fasting? How does fasting make sense? And like in weeks past, we're gonna be giving this practice some depth. Because in doing that, we're gonna guard against these practices just becoming a check mark on a to-do list. And we're gonna guard against them being hijacked for their intended purpose, which was to glorify God, to know God, to glorify our creator. Now, there are, there are many instances of fasting in the Bible. This morning, we're not gonna talk about what fasting looks like. In fact, if you check the next step box on your connect card, the next step email box, that next step email is gonna be, it's gonna be pulled from a book that was part of the resources for fasting called Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. And there are nine different fasts, specific fasts for specific reasons and how we go about fasting for these specific things. That's all gonna come after this morning. This morning, we're not gonna talk about the different ways of fasting, but rather, we're gonna talk about what Jesus teaches about fasting. My hope is that through this morning, it shifts our perspective on what fasting means to each one of us. And in doing that, I wanna think through this question. What are you fasting for? What are you fasting for? Fasting isn't something that's talked much about within church. I would even think that most of us don't do it as a spiritual practice. Why is this? Why is it not on our radar? Out of all of the practices, right, if you found out that somebody fasted, you'd probably think like, whoa, like they're, okay, so they're real deal Christians, right? Well, why don't we talk about it? Why isn't it on our radar? It's, it's easy to think that fasting is something that we created. In fact, I read a book by John Piper called A Hunger for God when preparing for this sermon, and he offered an interesting perspective on fasting that I had never thought of before, and I wanted to share it with you. It's a, it's a challenging perspective but it's an interesting paradigm that helps us to start to think through the question that I just asked. Right, it's easy for us to think that fasting is something that we created, right? We need food, we need nourishment, so what we're doing is we're withholding from these things to show our devotion to God, we're pushing away from these things just to show how pious and committed that we are. But Piper says, what if we looked at it differently? Piper said in his book, what if God created hunger and thirst so that we would know what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life? What if God created thirst so that when we read that those who believe in him shall never thirst, we'd have something to relate it to? God could have created us not needing food not needing nourishment, and we could worship him fully without these things. 
Piper says, what if God created hunger and thirst so that fasting could actually be a thing? It's more than a coincidence that God uses this sort of imagery. Hunger and thirst were created so that the imagery of food and nourishment would be felt and understood. Then appetite and fasting exist for, for one purpose, God's glory. And fasting brings focus to what really matters, which is the giver more than the gift. And the history of fasting shows that God has moved through people, his people, through fasting and prayer. So with that in mind, then, then we can start processing out that question. Like, what are we fasting for? What is the purpose of fasting? It's interesting that, that in Jesus' teaching, he doesn't go into depth of, in any depth of how to fast. In fact, it is just assumed that we are fasting. And it's so important that in the Sermon on the Mount, right, from what we read earlier, just before then, he teaches about prayer. He teaches this, the, the practice of prayer, which we all would agree is an important part of our faith. And he gives his disciples an example of how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And right from there, he says, and, and by the way, when you're fasting, not if you're fasting, when you're fasting, he doesn't go into teaching about how to fast and examples of what we should do. He does the same thing, speaks the same thing that he does about prayer, which is a warning. Oh, and when you're fasting, because I know you're going to be doing this, here's some warnings. And we read it earlier in Matthew 6, 16, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces so that their fast is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So what he's saying is if, 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 if we're fasting as an outward display, much like he warned against prayer, if we're fasting as an outward display, then an outward recognition, then, then if that's what we're searching for, then that's what we're going to get. And that's all we're going to get. But when we fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious. Don't let it be obvious to others. Your father who is in, but only to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you fast, the NIV translation is when you fast. The implication from Jesus is not if you fast, but when you fast. Right away, those are some eye-opening words for me as I'm examining my own spiritual life and the practice of fasting so that Jesus assumes that we're going to be fasting. Then Jesus goes on to explain what fasting should look like. Similar to the week in the practice of prayer, he's, he's warning against hypocrisy and he challenges the posture of our hearts when we fast. And again, he uses the imagery of in secret. Secret practice the secret reward. What Jesus warns against is the show of fasting. See, because the temptation we face, much like in prayer, is our own pride. We may want to look holy. We may want to look righteous. 
And one of the ways that we puff up our faith is through religious acts on the surface. But if our heart is not in the right place, then it's empty and our reward will be empty. Like prayer, fasting is meant to be an intimate experience felt in the deepest parts of our hearts. The places where only God sees our devotion, only God sees our intentions, only God sees our desires. And God sees that, right? We heard from Jerry last week when talking about confession. God already knows. God sees our hearts. God knows where our hearts align. So Jesus' teaching about fasting is a warning against that. When you fast, don't be tempted to fast as a show. But be focused on what you're fasting for. That God's will, that God's glory be magnified. So what are we fasting for? We can learn from Jesus' warning what we're fasting for. We can, we can hear that different paradigm, that different perspective of why fasting even exists. Why God would even create us with the ability to fast, to go without. And they both point to the same thing. To lean in in the secret places of our hearts. To lean in to God, to lean in to God's will, to, that his glory would be magnified. So to go without our ability to fast is also an opportunity to hunger. So the, the real question is not what are you fasting for, but what are you fasting towards? When we fast, we go without only to emphasize a hunger for something else. When we fast, we are denying ourselves of that nourishment, of that deepest need that God created us to have. But in doing that, we're allowing for God to work in our hearts and we're, we're given the opportunity to hunger towards something else. We're placing the desire for God's will in our lives before our desire for our most basic need in life. And through that, God gives focus. He's able to use us in a mighty way. Fasting brings about focus. There are so many examples through the scripture of fasting bringing focus to people's hearts. Jesus himself fasted before he began his ministry on earth. And look what it says. After Jesus was baptized, he traveled into the desert. Matthew 4, 2 through 4. It says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What I love about this verse is that word, hungry. Without fasting, we don't have hunger. 
Jesus fasted 40 days in the desert, and what does it say? He was hungry. We know that this is, there is physical hunger involved, and that Satan is using that physical hunger to test and to tempt Jesus into self-reliance rather than obedience to his father. But I wonder if Jesus felt a different type of hunger. One that was only amplified by 40 days of fasting. Because like he said, fasting isn't just about deprivation and denial, but it's also about making room for a hunger for something else. He was hungry. I wonder if this was the type of hunger that he taught his disciples about. Matthew 5, 6, when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled. If you look up that word filled, it has this idea of being fattened, satisfied, more than enough. The hunger that he felt in the desert, it's the same hunger that God blesses. So when I read that verse, he was hungry. I think of the focus that he must have felt in that moment. Jesus fasts for 40 days in the desert. He comes from that fast, and the verse says that he was hungry. And there he's met by Satan and tested and tempted as he's about to start his ministry. But in that time of fasting, in that time of emptying, in that time of ridding himself of the, his basic human need, the focus that he must have felt in that moment, the focus that he must have felt coming from the desert, God uses fasting, our created ability to hunger and to thirst, to give us focus. This shows us that he gives us fasting to empower us. He gives us fasting to humble us. He gives us fasting to convict us. He uses fasting to bring out all of these things in our hearts. So that from the 40 days, from the desert, from whatever we're going through, we're focused and we're hungry. Hungry for righteousness. Thirsty for righteousness. And what's the promise? And when we hunger and thirst for that, we'll be filled with more than enough. So when we fast, we... It's not for show, but it's in secret. We invite God to work in all of these ways. We're expecting of God to work in these ways. God has shown us that he works in these ways through prayer and fasting. One of the books that I read pointed out how Paul's ministry journey was propelled. The catalyst for that in Scripture was through prayer and fasting. 
There'd be a good chunk of our New Testament that would be missing without that ministry that was propelled through prayer and fasting. So that being said, I have something to confess. I can probably count on one hand the amount of times that I've actually fasted. Which is why I checked that box at the beginning of the series. That's why, as I've been sharing, I haven't really been able to share many like firsthand stories. I can count on one hand the amount of times I've fasted. Given all that I've just said and all that I've learned, that's pretty embarrassing to admit. Fasting for me tended to be wrapped up in some sort of event rather than a steady spiritual rhythm. But I began to wonder, it makes me wonder, why is that? Why isn't fasting a normal rhythm in my life? Bible's filled with the phrase, through prayer and fasting. Jesus teaches warning against fasting, assuming that we are fasting. But yet it's not in the forefront of my mind. It's not a steady part of my relationship with God. As I was working through this, kind of dawned on me that if I was the tempter, if I was Satan, and I knew just how powerful fasting was, I'd probably do everything I could to keep someone from fasting. And I thought even a little bit further. I'd probably drum up some sort of cultural relevance with fasting that has nothing to do with the spiritual element of fasting. I don't think it's a coincidence that people talk about fasting outside of the church more than inside of the church. That's probably just where the tempter would want us to be talking about it. But given what the Bible says about fasting, given the fact that Jesus warns against it. Can you imagine if we became a church that just regularly fasted, regularly hungered and thirsted for God in this way? I was convicted in studying through this to start to develop a normal rhythm of fasting in my own life. Like I said, one of the resources for fasting this week was a book by Elmer Towns that Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. And that next email, there's about nine different fasts that he pulls from Scripture and couples it with specific needs, specific aims and objectives, and then walks through how to fast. 
So if you check that box, that's what we're going to send you this week. I know that this, this morning we didn't spend much time talking about how to fast, but the goal was to shift our perspective on what fasting is and what fasting should mean to each one of us. But that next step email will follow through with that. And I'm hoping that this morning convicts us to the point where we start to, to, to consider, to regularly consider the, the, the power and the purpose of fasting for focus to really hone in on who God is and what God's doing in our lives. I'm hoping that a bunch of us commit to this. A bunch of us commit to making fasting a part of our normal spiritual practice. The band's gonna play a song in a few moments um, called All I Need Is You. And I would just say to let this song be a reminder of our dependence on God, be a reminder of what fasting actually brings us, which is that hunger and that thirst for who God is. And maybe you need to use this time to sort of empty yourself of the things that you've been carrying, maybe things that get in the way from your ability to really focus on what God's doing in your life. And I would ask that you just let the band just sing this song over you. If not, then join in as well because our brothers and sisters here, there are people who need to hear this song and this song needs to be sung over them. Let's stand together as we pray and close out. Heavenly Father, God, we, we humbly come before you. God, we invite you to do a work in our hearts. As we consider your word, as we consider this practice, Father, God, we know that it's one that is not at the forefront of our minds. We know that it's one that we don't regularly participate in, but God, we acknowledge the power that is found through this simple act of just withholding our basic human need so that we could be more focused, more hungry, more thirsty for who you are and for all that you're doing in our lives. God, I pray that your spirit even now is just working in the hearts of your people here. I know there's only so much that can be said, only so much that can be taught, but it's only through your spirit that hearts are changed, that hearts are captured and transformed. God, I pray that this isn't the end of our conversation and fasting, but that this, this is a, the beginning of a, a new chapter in the life of our church, in the life of your people. God, one that, that intentionally starts to make time for each of these practices, God. Starts to take these practices seriously. Because we know that you work and you move through each one of them, God. We know that you use each one of them to draw us closer to you. So I invite you to continue to do that. Continue to work in our hearts. 
Continue to draw us closer to you. Continue to draw us closer to your will. God, give us courage to step into new spaces. Give us courage to fight against our own will, to fight against our own temptations. And give us eyes that see you and only you in all that we do. And we know that this is only made possible through the life and the death and the resurrection of your son Jesus. And it's in his all-powerful name that we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.